0: Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. This is the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally on your favorite podcast sites, where you'll also find a library of all of our shows. And if you happen to live in Charleston, South Carolina, we're heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on the iconic 1250 WTMA with the invaluable assistance of John Quincy. And here she is, a force of nature, Robin Berlinski. Hey, Ron. Now, Robin, we say this every time. If you're a regular listener, what's the first question I ask Robin? Don't we have some business to discuss?
1: We always have business to discuss because I would love you to follow me on Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski. We have lots of fun prizes, mostly related to our podcast episodes. So you listen, you hear something I ask about, and then you you DM me and you win all kinds of prizes. So you really want to follow me on Instagram and also Facebook, The Learning Ring.
0: The great thing about working with Robin is we always have great guests in the studio. And, and Perry, pardon me as I do the introduction. I'm just going to do part of this because it's only a 28-minute show. But you have, <laughs> you have a tremendous resume. Perry.
1: Perry's awesome.
0: Yes, he, he is. As everyone walks through the door. <laughs> Perry, Perry Morris said, is the founder and principal consultant of Accelerating Innovative Solutions and Services, an engineering solutions company. After more than 32 years perry retired from the boeing company you only look like you're 45 years old i'm not sure how that works Uh, where he was the senior leader of the boeing south carolina engineering design center in this role perry was recognized as its innovation champion as well as the leadership champion of the employee development and growth enhancement program perry is an active member of the engaging creative minds board of directors what a great organization as a past advisory board member of penn state university's learning factory and the Citadel's Engineering Leadership and Program Management program. Perry, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Ron. And good morning, Good Robin. morning, Robin. Yes. Well,
1: <laughs> woohoo. <laughs> woohoo indeed. I have to say, um first and foremost to my listeners who know I'm so passionate about upstate New York. Full disclosure, Perry's from Utica, <laughs> which is 100 miles about from Canandaigua, so shout out to all of our friends up there. But um the reason I'm so excited about the show is for several reasons, but Perry is an amazing STEM professional, very um, much involved in engineering, STEM, for those of you that don't know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And then me running an arts organization where Perry serves on the board is such a great connection because the arts... And the STEM program. So we're going to get into that in a minute. But Perry, we always like to start with your journey. And I know we asked you, we're going to ask you about your favorite teacher and what inspired Mm -hmm. you. But math intrigues me. I have a son who's an engineer and, you know, my brain is not that way. So, you know, how did I birth a child that's so mathematically and scientifically inclined? Um, But I want to know your journey as a child and how you ended up as an engineer.
2: Great question. So I'm, I'm going to relate it back to, you said, my favorite teacher and you know, when we talked about me participating on this, um, on your show, I thought about it. It didn't take me that long. It was my 10th, grad, 10th grade math teacher, Mr. Thomas. And, you know, I'd been having, taking math classes all, my entire life or an entire, you know, elementary, middle school and high school life. Well, this teacher did something very unique that inspired math in me. You know, we're taking math classes. I'm like, how does this apply in the real world, Right. When I was growing up, I enjoyed Legos. I enjoyed, you know, working on my bike, taking it apart, and always wondering why I have, have all these extra pieces left <laughs> over, right? So, you know, that, that's sort of how I got into problem solving. But the math teacher, what he did before every class, he gave us a little, it wasn't a quiz. It was just a, a type of problem that you had to use math to solve. Now, I can't really describe it without illustrations but the one that really got me that resonates with me to this day that he said okay you're on top of this building and looking down at the top it's an l-shaped building and it's on fire but 14 feet across that span is another building and he said how are you going to get there we're going to give you you have two ladders on top and that's it you got two ladders they're both 13 feet long Again, but the gap is 14 feet. How are you going to go from an L-shaped building to the other building so you don't die in a horrific fire? And again, you can't do this without me, you know, sketching it out. But it got everybody thinking. And, you know, nobody solved it until the next day. And, he, you know, he tells us the next day when he prepares us with another type of mathematical issue. But it resonated with me saying, that's how you use math to solve problems.
1: I love that. Right. So how do you?
2: How do? do you I- jump? No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> and everybody says, "Well, you use your shoelaces. You know, you tie them together." No, no. Well, if you think about that L-shaped building and where the other building is, you put that thirteen-foot ladder between the two corners across its span. Of the L shape building, then you lay the other ladder down from there to the uh, to the point of the other building.
1: Very smart. I I'll draw love a picture it. for you guys
2: later. Thank you. Right? I can
1: visualize though. It's that little spot in the right angle where that little where you make the little Correct. arc to yep. show it's a ninety degree exactly. angle. That's where you put the ladder. Right? So, oh my gosh! So I love it.
2: Trigonometry and geometry and sine and cosine. Right? You're like, oh, this is how we use that stuff now.
1: And see, that's what's brilliant because when I teach at the College of Charleston, of course, I teach early educators who are going into early childhood, but that's a time when math is really very abstract and we need to make it concrete. So we use Legos and we use Unifix cubes and things where they can touch and feel and see and explore and problem solve. And I love that because when I got to middle school, it was very abstract for me still. I used to hate those. Like if a train is going this fast, like, oh, I can't stand that. But if I'm going to die on a roof of a burning building and I have two ladders, I'm all in. Like, I want to know how to solve that. Right. Because it's physical. You can draw it out. You can measure it.
2: It's tactile, too, right? You you know, to your point about the, the Legos.
1: Yep.
0: But what you two are describing is what we've always talked about, teachers bringing something more into the classroom, a a real-world experience, as opposed to just writing formulas on a blackboard. Yes. Engaging them, if I dare use that
1: word. Yes, engage creative minds. Something else I love about you, Perry, that's different in a way where you see the big picture and the, what do I mean by that? What I mean is you understand mistakes Mm -hmm. are learning experiences. Exactly. That we celebrate them. Now, I will say you worked at Boeing, so you can't have some mistakes. Some mistakes are not good, but you catch them and you, you solve. And something else I love is the innovation that you have always inspired workers at Boeing to come up with ideas to solve problems within the organization. So they're always strategically thinking and problem solving. And that's what I love about your brain because it's very mathematical. But then you also have that beautiful story about SpaceX. We have to talk about that during the show too. Um, the com- I, I wrote it down because it was so amazing. Rapid unscheduled disassembly. Oh, right. We're going to talk about that too. But you ha- you see the full picture of how we can celebrate things that don't go right. Cause what was it? Thomas Edison that said, I didn't make any mistakes. I just...
2: It was a th- you know, over a thousand learning opportunities. A, a thousand
1: learning opportunities. Brilliant. That's yep. what I love.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: And I do think that's your connection to the arts. You know, why you're on the board of Engaging Creative Minds. I don't mean to get in your brain, but I am speaking for you. Uh-huh is that it's that innovation and design through creativity.
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, I'm not the most innovative guy, you know, and, you know, uh, Ron, when you introduced me, you talked about, you know, me being the innovation champion. I don't have all the answers, right? I can try to solve things. But what I recognize through my, you know, many years at Boeing, you know, but also, you know, participating in my community, like on, you know, the board of directors for Engaging Creative Mind. There's relationships that you form that you you get to know people who have who can solve the world's challenges, solve the world's problems. But, you know, my, my goal is always to connect with people and establish relationships. So if something came up, I can remember, hey, I can go back to that guy, I can go back to that gal who's who who has that that uh, capability, that ability, that innovativeness to go solve another problem. To me, it's always been about having. Great relationships, which drives great behavior, which yields great performance, right? Relationships drives behavior. Behavior drives performance. I love that.
0: Chuba, I have to point this out. You don't seem to have the typical personality of any engineer that I've ever met. You're sort of operating at a much different level, left brain, right brain, perhaps, at the same time. Yeah, I'll make an eye contact with you folks right yes. now. I'm not looking at my shoes, right? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I I don't know what that's attributed to, you know, I mean, no, Probably I have to, you know, um, you know, give it to my parents. You know, I'll uh, give them credit for that. Um, I'm one of five, and you know, there's again there's that relationship. You know, yeah. you have to have good relationships with your your siblings, your friends to drive that performance. But yeah, I I don't know, but I guess to Robin's point about STEM, but integrating arts into STEM, I think that's a big part of it too. I I golf right, and golf is very it's very process oriented, and there's so many Contributing factors to be have a successful shot. There's sometimes I make shots, and you know, my golfing buddy says, "But you're an engineer. How'd you make that shot?" I said, "Well, I didn't think like an engineer. I thought like an artist." So it's very important, I think, for people to, you know, think about science and technology and engineering and math. But there's also that very important aspect of applying an artistic, um, you know, manner in which to solve something.
0: Let me ask you this thirty two plus years at Boeing, explain your leadership style and how this artistic creativity came into what was also a very process driven scenario where you can't veer from you know this or the plane goes down. I'm being overly dramatic perhaps yeah it, going back to that, you know there's
2: within any great company that makes products that are very complex, like Boeing you know uh, platforms, be it airplanes, be it helicopters you know, whatever it may be, there is checks and double checks and triple checks. There's redundancies it's just in the process of doing the engineering, right? Um, there is an extreme amount of collaboration and engagement um, that that's required um, in there. All right, so Ron, repeat the question again, So <laughs> please. My,
0: my question was, how do you bring that learning style, the, the personality, the creativity to your job at Boeing? You're dealing with perhaps other engineers, but you have to take it to a level where people obviously respect your knowledge, but they're listening to you because you're doing something that's different than just droning on about and then showing on a blueprint right. or a blackboard. It, it takes you to another level, I think. There's that key word you said, it's listening. Yeah, I you know,
2: brevity is not my strong point, but I, I have to focus on listening to my colleagues, um, you know, my coworkers. That uh, I mean I think that's a key part of it. But again, going back to uh, what my new organization that I founded, the accelerating innovative solutions and services, let's just cut it, let's just refer to it as ACES. I love it. Right? It's because, you know, the full term is 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 quite lengthy. Again, brevity is not one of my strong points. Um so, you know, it's unlocking that full potential of the workforce is, is very key. And and how do we do that? How do I do that? It's it's developing trust. How do you develop trust with somebody? Well you you provide an environment what um it's referred to as psychological safety. You listen to them, you engage with them, you know there's no secret sauce, I think, but it's just you know talking with with people and listening, regardless of what job that they have. What I found out in my thirty two plus years at Boeing there's people who actually who are performing the work who have the ideas to solve what I call the pebbles in the shoes of the mechanics or pebbles in the shoes of the operator. And they have ideas, but there has been some times when those ideas are discounted or just completely ignored. And my approach, again, working with folks on my team who are innovative thinkers, let's create something that provides an environment of trust and psychological safety so that their ideas can come to fruition to solve those problems pebble issues, right? And and we're just talking little things. You know, Boeing a lot of time has to solve complex problems like the 787, right? Like the CH-47 um, Chinook helicopter. But a lot of times to get there, you're taking all these small steps and those pebbles in the shoes of the mechanic, that annoys them every single day. But they have an idea on how to how to eliminate that pebble. And you collect all those pebbles, it becomes a big
0: rock.
1: I love that. That's a good analogy. Where did
0: the strategy come from? did you te- Is this something that that early teacher taught you or this is something you came up with on your own? Because again, this sounds so different than your typical engineering uh, curriculum.
2: I, I cannot take credit for it. Um, again, I was talking with folks on my team and they said, hey, listen, I think we need to, well, it first started the employee, employee development and, and growth uh, program that we have we actually rotated engineers and uh, folks from other organizations into the factory floor to feel the pain of the mechanics, the operators, uh. the machinists, right? So th- th- that was a big part of it. Uh, again, I was the, I'll call it a champion, but the, my definition champion is to remove the roadblocks, to help them, you know, to solve those problems. I don't have the answers. I know that these other people do. And so I'm just facilitating, giving them the resources they need, be it equipment, the time, you know, maybe they need, you know, um, time off, you know, the gold, because everybody has issues at home, you know, with childcare and everything. But again, it's providing that that environment of safety t- so they could facilitate and implement those great ideas that they have.
1: I love that. I was at a conference once, and you were there, and I don't think we had even met yet. This is my first memory of you. And one of the questions, Boeing was a keynote or something. There was an engineer speaking, and you were in the audience as part of the Boeing support. And an audience member asked what you were looking for in the workforce, because it was a room full of art um, programs. And they said, well, you're STEM, you're science, you're math. So how do we get a job at Boeing? You know, clearly you're not hiring a violinist. And you gave, do you remember how you answered that? Yeah. What did you say?
2: They wanted to know the definition of innovation. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah,
1: like what are you looking for when you hire people at Boeing? And you said attitude.
2: Oh, absolutely. You said
1: attitude is the number one. And this woman was shocked because I think she was trying to find a way to find jobs for her artists at Boeing right. and she was going to kind of point out that <laughs> that it wasn't going to work, but you didn't give that answer that you need to understand math or science. And you even said, I don't care what college you went to. If you come in with an attitude, like you know it all and you, you don't need any training, you shouldn't come here because we're all about growth and listening to each other and learning from each other. And I yeah. thought that was brilliant. And I hadn't that's, even met
2: you yet. Oh, no, that's, that's awesome. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed that you remember that. You I know, remember that. You know, when I first started at Boeing, you know, and, and we were hiring as a hiring manager, okay, look at their degree. What school did they go to, right? And what's their GPA? And that was basically what we were encouraged to do to hire somebody. And I'm like, that's not right because I know I went to a two-year school basically a community college. And then I transferred to a, you know, a, a really nice university, right? And, you know, and I I uh, applaud and thank my parents for paying that ungodly tuition at that time, right? But what I, rec- you know, again, but I worked during the summer for my spending money, my book money, right? So what has transitioned over the years within Boeing is, you know, and I encourage, you know, the people that I work with, you got to look at attitude, I can look at somebody with a four-point GPO, 4.0 GPA, excuse me, and I'm looking for everything else that they're doing, you know, whether it be part-time jobs, you know, during the year, working in the bookstore, um, working on association at school, right? But if they don't have it, all they have is that 4.0 GPA. Yeah, okay, that's good. Maybe I want to talk to them later, but are there better better candidates out there? Let's look at their experiences. I'll take somebody with a 3.0 GPA who's got a lot of experience in working with association, maybe being a lifeguard, right? And and other types of ac- outside activities over somebody with a 4.0 GPA
0: strictly as that.
1: Makes sense. Tell your that, daughter she's in college.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant because I actually have a it's a story close to my heart. One of my dear friends from college became a dentist and his father who was a doctor said don't major in biology or chemistry everybody's going to do that do something different to set yourself apart you're still going to take the core classes but he majored in anthropology and he said every interview he had for dental school nobody asked anything about the classes except anthropology that's what they wanted to talk about
1: interesting Yeah.
0: yeah And that's why I became an anthropologist, which was worthless to me until. Did I, you really? Yeah. Oh, I
1: thought you were joking. No,
0: no. I was a pre-med and decided I didn't want to go to medical school. They oh didn't gosh. want me to go to medical school. And then one year, my father called me up. This is a, I might as well tell this story. This is before Caller Island. No, this is great. I said, hello. Yeah, it's your father. Just letting you know, we're hiring a, a lot of anthropologists in the office this year. Okay, bye. Click. A <laughs> <Aww, laughs> little, little life lesson. Yeah. Well, my fa- <laughs> father was famous for that kind of stuff.
1: Oh my gosh! So crap.
0: innovation, setting yourself apart. How did you wind up at Engaging Creative Minds, which, of course, from the outside, is a phenomenal organization, and and we know who Thank the head you, of Ron. You I've, I've always loved that group. How do I
2: end up at ECM? Yes, how did you wind up doing that? One of my f- uh, former colleagues, um, he was transferring, going into a new position back out to Seattle, and they needed somebody to to come in. And you know, my boss, uh, a VP of Engineering, and uh, my predecessor. Doug French, had recommended me, which, again, I think it goes back to the relationships that I formed with Doug. Obviously, I had a, a really good relationship with my boss, but with Doug, who, you know, we were peers, right? So he had recommended me. But now I think, because Robin had heard me speak <laughs> prior to that, I think they had probably, probably had no, a little bit of influence on no it. No
1: connection, but I have a funny Doug French story. <clears throat> During a board meeting, we were coming up early on with, like, early in the— um development of engaging creative minds. Like what's our mission? What's our vision? What's our goal? La la la. Talking, talking, talking. And Doug just out of the blue, very simply says, we introduce kids to their futures. And everybody was like, that's it. That's it.
0: (laughs) That's We literally
1: just spent three hours with lots of words. And he sat there quietly and summed it up for us. And you're a lot like him. So I see why they recommended you.
2: I take that as a compliment. Doug is a great guy.
1: Shout out to Doug French.
0: Before we lose this opportunity, tell us about your company and what kind of solutions are people looking for when they come to you? Okay. So again, you know, the, the
2: purpose is to improve the operational efficiency of our, the production operations of our clients. And that's done by unlocking the full potential of its workforce. Going back to what I did at Boeing and, you know, several years before I retired, I'm like, there's got to be other companies in the Charleston area, in the state of South Carolina that could benefit from this, right? Right. So it's a novel innovation management system that has uh, many, many best practices in it. And it's broken down into, I call it three pillars. There's the innovation engine, the innovation academy, and the value accelerator. The innovation engine is what are those activities and events and, you know, other venues that motivate and develop the employees. Uh, the key one in my mind, there, there's really two. There is the innovation spaces where... We provide a a space in the factory that um, when the operators, the mechanics, but also the engineers and the finance people and supplier management, when they walk by and say, hey, what are you folks doing in here? Hey, we're trying to solve, solve those pebble in the shoe problems. We don't, you know, the people that I, that we staffed the cells with didn't have the solutions, but they had, you know, the, the engineering mindset. They were trained in problem solving. So. The mechanics who were comfortable coming in said, hey, that's pretty cool. I've always had an issue with this, right? And so they come in, they work hand in hand with the engineers, and they solve the problems. The other one is what I call um, embedded rotations. Um, I mentioned earlier, we put engineers working side by side with the mechanics. And the engineers learn, hey, you know what My what I designed here doesn't work. Or man, it it creates a pebble in the shoe with mechanics. But what we found after um, deploying this rotation is the mechanics now built a relationship with the engineer. And likewise, the engineer built a like uh, relationship with the mechanic. So in the future, engineer is more comfortable going out to the factory floor. But the mechanic says, I have another problem I want to solve. I remember, you know, um, Jane Doe that worked here as an, in, you know, worked side by side with, I'm going to contact with them. Again, that goes back to the relationships, drives behavior, which drives performance, Right. And we have the Innovation Academy where we educate to innovate you know, we pro- uh, provide training in such things as, you know, problem solving, root cause, corrective action and analysis. And the last one's value a value accelerator, where, you know, to reap the value of innovation, we leverage and recognize the efforts of the, the employees, their contributions, be it recognition programs, be it patent awards, be it, you know, um, collecting their invention disclosures because it provides value to boeing let's protect it for the company right and just overall innovation celebrations so again innovation engine innovation academy and a value accelerator
1: and we will drop in the podcast notes your website how anyone can get in touch with you Mm -hmm. everything will be in there so our listeners know
0: i've known you now 22 minutes and I have to say, my observation is you're not just a scientist, but you're a people person. And I think that's a very rare combination. The fact that you will listen to these people, put them together, let them collaborate, and solve problems by somehow putting it all on the table. There's no hierarchy. I have to say, if I can use the word brilliant, you know, I don't you know may. you well enough to say I that. I am brilliant I'm, also. I think that's pretty, I mean, because I'm in the people business. I mean, I'm a communicator. I'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination. But I can see the power of communicating and bringing people together. Well, thank you, Ron.
1: And I love something you said, because everyone wants to be heard. Everyone has something to say. And you, I love that psychological safety. Is that what you mm-hmm. said? Yeah. I love that because I, as you know, in Engaging Creative Minds, we go out in these rural school districts and we work with new school districts that don't know us. We come in as strangers, but we do exactly what you say. We, li- huh? we start with, tell us about your school district. What do you most love? Right. Tell us about your students. Are there any challenges? And by that point, they feel trust, there, there's trust there. We're talking, we're engaging about your students and then they share you know, their pain points.
2: It's a very interesting concept that, that you apply, you know, through ECM. What I've, I've seen in my, my, you know, working for Boeing and, and, you know, through those 32 plus years, we'd have consultants come in to solve whatever problems. But what do they do? They, they come in and say, hey, here's our presentation. Let's tell us, we're going to tell you what we can do. The approach that I try to take, that I emphasize is you go into a company, what are your challenges? What's keeping you up at night? I'm not going to go through my, my presentation or anything like that. That comes much, much later. What problems exactly. are you trying to solve, right? And, and the other aspect, you know, work, working with Boeing, you know, I, I think, and again, and, and this just is not limited to Boeing. There's companies out there, they always rely on the, what I call the usual suspects to solve a problem, I always encourage and emphasize to my team and others, let's rely upon the unusual suspects. The people that, that, it's not that we're ignoring them, but we always focus on those brilliant scientists who are always solving these problems. But if we always rely on them and something happens to them, they, they, they transfer it to another part of the company, we lose that capability. So let's, let's, let's engage with other people, the unusual suspects, because you know what?
0: They have
2: that passion that enthusiasm to solve problems just as well as anyone else love
0: that uh, before we run out of time here how about a quick shout out to boeing because i know they've been a great community supporter oh, yeah. over
1: the past 10 years boeing has funded and invested in our arts program over a million dollars amazing and they are why we are where we are mm-hmm. this well you can you can thank me for that because I fly
0: on a lot of Boeing airplanes all
1: if it's the time. not Boeing I'm not going. <laughs> I have that
0: sticker on my filing
2: cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget about all the volunteers and all the activities ECM does, and not just ECM, across, you know, the entire low country.
1: Yes, and Perry just was a judge for our business plan competition in Columbia. It was awesome.
0: Well, I promised you this was going to fly by. So, Robin, any final comments and a goodbye to Perry?
1: Well, I'm just so grateful that a lot of times we don't know what STEAM is. And thank you for connecting STEM and the arts for us, Perry.
2: Absolutely. I appreciate you guys um, the invite and enjoyed this very much.
0: All right. By the way, let me remind you, if you want to reach out to Robin for comments, (laughs) questions, suggested guests, you name it, visit TheLearningRing.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G-R-I-N-G. I -I I spelled it right. ring.com. You've been listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski with our special guest, Perry Morissette. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'd love your feedback. Again, at TheLearningRing.com, or you can also reach out to Robin with questions, comments, and even win chances to win prizes. Lots of prizes. prizes. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.